When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. It was uh, definitely a happy holiday for Oregon this week. Uh, yeah, qu- quite a week. Um, and didn't uh, start um, that hot with the decommitment of uh, Dante Moore. Um, have fun at UCLA, dude. Um, uh, I right before we started recording, we just watched them uh, eat it uh, against Pitt in the Sun Bowl. Um, I'm not bitter at all. Uh, <laughs> not about uh, Chip Kelly flipping to UCLA or, or Dante Moore either. Not at all. Um, and a lot of what happened this week, uh, uh watched the taste of that out of Oregon fans mouth, pretty, uh, happy week. Um, they had a pretty, uh, 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 bounteous signing day. We'll talk about that for in the, the, the following couple of segments, but let's talk about the holiday bowl first. Um, I've, uh, my article is going to be going up on this tomorrow morning, probably at the same time that this podcast is going to be posted. Um, but, uh, uh, so I've got my thoughts, uh, Adam, how did you feel about the game? Well, I have to admit, uh, for for a good portion of it, I was underwhelmed. Uh, I like I like you know how we we kind of got a couple touchdowns on the board there early on, uh, but for a long time, it really just seemed like the offense was just having trouble generating. Um, the defense uh, was definitely doing its job out there, um, especially in the second half. held held North Carolina to six points, and when you're dealing with a quarterback like May, that's that's no easy task. So the defense the defense held up their end of the bargain. Uh, the offense took a long time to finally find some rhythm, uh, but fortunately for Duck fans everywhere, that rhythm they found was on the last two drives of the game. And uh, I definitely think that that's, that's a big momentum builder heading into next season uh, because you have Knicks returning. And so I think that's showing that, like, he went out this season showing, yeah, look at look at this, I can lead a clutch comeback in the final minutes, like I'm, I'm still your guy. I'm, I'm, you know, one of the best passers in the nation and man, uh, just, just watching what he did, uh, just makes me all the more excited to have him back next year. Uh, yeah, you know, it was funny. Um, at, at the beginning of the broadcast, they quoted Mac Brown as saying, uh, if you've got a quarterback, you've got a chance. Uh, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, it turned out to be pretty, pretty prophetic. Um, you know, the, the, uh, th- that's basically how I saw the game too. Um, you know, when I was watching it live, um, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the defense, you know, had a few breakdowns, you know, they let, they let them convert all four of their fourth downs. Um, although of course the fact that they were forcing fourth downs is something, um, you know, uh, it's funny because the, the, you know, even though the final score doesn't look like it, um, the game proceeded almost exactly the way that, um, that, you know, both, you know, I charted every game that Oregon played. I charted every game that North Carolina played. The efficiency rates wound up playing out exactly as expected. Um, you know, charting don't lie. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, there were a couple of things, you know, that were different, uh, about this game. Um, however, um, the, the major thing that was different from North Carolina was that they had an unexpected late scratch of, um, one of their wide receivers, number three, Antoine Green, um, who is, um, probably their best deep threat. They have another, um, big, outside receiver, uh, number five, uh, uh, Jones. Um, but he sort of has a drop problem and Oregon didn't have that, uh, difficult of time of containing him. Um, I, I sort of feel like they w- we knew that they were going to be out their their real number, uh, one receiver, Josh Downs. Um, and, and they were going to have to deal with that. And that probably made them less like, um, 
I don't know, there's a real sort of like magic factor to UNC watching their film over the course of the year where like they were in, I mean, there was a reason why that team was like, I think six and two in one score games, you know, like they kept having all these comeback wins and, and they were doing it because it's not really that great of a team, but they have a fantastic quarterback who would make like magic plays happen. And the primo numero one guy that was the magic maker receiver of, of those Drake may, you know, magic plays was Josh Downs. So like there was sort of a magic factor that was going to be missing from North Carolina, but we knew that. And I sort of had it factored into my predictions. Um, didn't have um, Green's absence. Now, what's really confusing is that they have another receiver named Green and the, their leading running back is also named Green. And I think there's a fourth guy on the team named Green, too. It's, um, it's a very green team. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> it, it, particularly apt because number one wide receiver Green, uh, who is a true freshman, not to be confused with the senior, number three, Antoine Green, who I expected to play but didn't. Number one, the younger Green, um, and he spells his name different, it's an extra E at the end, um, Andre Green, um, had not played all season long. But when we interviewed um, Isaac Shade from the Locked on Heels podcast, he was like, yeah, you should look out for Andre Green. He might break in and play this game and he did he had a number of good catches including you know a, a touchdown at the beginning of the game um so like i'm glad we previewed that you know if we didn't talk to isaac i wouldn't have known about that guy and i wouldn't have been prepared for that to happen so thanks isaac um uh, 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 so that was interesting. Um, and, uh, so it's, you know, a bit of a change, but like Andre green's not really, he, he can't replace Antoine green in terms of the like sort of outside receiver stuff. So they were definitely like down some, some key pieces in that sense, um, on, uh, on offense. So they were also down some key pieces on defense, but it doesn't matter. Their defense is so terrible that like they could have the JV squad playing. It wouldn't, it'd be, you know, the same thing. Um, Oregon, the difference for them, I went through a bunch of theories. Um, the, so uh, one part of it is some fluky stuff happened, right? You know, like that crazy interception. Yeah, that right? was kind like, of where almost all the momentum changed in the first half. Yeah. Uh, that was that was one of the weirdest interceptions I've ever seen. But, and like, uh, <laughs> and the thing that was the real kicker about that, like the real kick in the teeth about it, was that it was at the, coming at the end of one of those yet again masterful Dan Lanning end of the first half drives where they like, I think they take over the ball with like four and a half or five minutes left. And they're, and you just know what's going to happen, which is that they're going to get all the way to the goal line with like 30 seconds left and punch it in and give UNC no time. And then because Oregon won the flip at the beginning of the game and deferred, they were going to get the ball to start the second half. And you're just like, Oh, it's going to be another one of these like, Mm -hmm. but then rather than getting a touchdown, they give UNC the ball on that crazy interception. UNC, you know, winds up scoring. So like exactly what they were supposed to deny them is what they got, you know, so that, that becomes like a 14 point swing in UNC's direction. So that's like kind of a fluky thing. That's sort of thing. Number one thing. Number two is that Bo Nix, I think is still sort of dealing with an injury. Um, because like, even though he looked kind of mobile outside the pocket, um, he definitely looked way more ginger running the ball, you know, like he was very, uh, not interested in taking contact. You know, he was, he, yes. he'd go down, um, very early in his run. Um, it was enough to keep the defense honest. Like I, I'm going to have some clips in my article about like how N- Nick's merely presenting a threat to run the ball, even if it's not a big threat was enough to like affect the defense. And that, w- and that meant that the rushing defense was more effective than say against Utah, where Utah absolutely knew that Nick's was never going to keep the ball. And so they could send an extra guy and, and, and got a numbers advantage. UNC couldn't do that. So, you know, so, so therefore the idea that, that, well, that's one part. The other part is that like Nix's accuracy wasn't there, which is like, that's, that's been the, like the freaky preternatural thing about studying Nix all season long is he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks I've ever seen until yeah. he got injured. And then it's like some Anthony Brown stuff where it's just like occasionally just throws a wild ball. Um, and he threw like four of those in this game, um, in a game where there were, he only like attempted 33 passes. Um, so like four is a lot um, out of yeah, that. Definitely. Um, and, uh, so I don't know what that's about. I, I, you know, he's had some rest since, since the last game. Um, you know, it, we're, we're all just going to cross our fingers that it's totally healed up by spring and that he doesn't, you know, further aggravate any injury during spring. Um, 
Um, but like I, you know, I sure would like a super accurate quarterback back. Um, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is Nix has not, not been fully healthy since the Washington yeah. injury. Um, and, you know, and then it's sort people, of like a shell game to figure out like how injured is he and like how do you parse what the coach's yeah. words are about that? Well, that's that's the interesting part because you know it was uh, from everything that's been reported, it was an ankle injury, and a lot of people when they when they hear that they tend to think, oh, he rolled his ankle, he sprained his ankle, big whoop, you know, put it up, put some ice on it, and get back on the field. I, I will tell you, as somebody uh, who played high school basketball and had torn ligaments in my ankle and also a hairline fracture in the same ankle later on in adulthood, that those are very tricky joints to heal. Very <laughs> tricky. And if you injure it the wrong way, or if you have a pretty severe one, it is not something you can just trot back out there and be back to normal. Um, so I think that that definitely has played into Oregon's kind of, you know, I won't say inability to score, because obviously they you know still put up good points um, against Oregon State and whatnot. Uh, but that that definitely has played into their their uh, their dual threat mentality that made them so dangerous because Nick's could just be off like a rocket. And, sure. you know, even though he's able to stand in the pocket, make good reads, maybe escape, you know, he's not able to do what we saw him do earlier in the season. And that that's played into everything. Right. But, you know, here's here's where I'm going with this is that the. You know, Oregon had nine meaningful possessions. They scored touchdowns on four of them and almost effortlessly, right? Like yeah. their four touchdown drives, they, those weren't flukes, right? Like those didn't, those weren't like, oh man, they got lucky to score no, there. Absolutely not. Like those were, that was, you know, what Oregon fans have been accustomed to seeing on Oregon scoring drives all season long. And so the idea that like, oh, Bo Nix just doesn't have it tonight well if that were true then the four scoring drive especially the last two in which it was 14 passes to two runs and hell one of the runs was a Bo Nix run he kept the ball on a on a zone read so yeah. like or actually a power read that was actually kind of interesting they introduced almost a new run play um for this game but anyway um that's a little more technical I'll get into that in my article um so like you know any one theory that's like Oh, that you know, Knicks is just totally garbage this game. Well, that's not true. You know, it, it explains oh, yeah. a little bit of it, but it doesn't explain all of it. And then the third part is it, this. This is going to take a little while, to, you know, and I will explain it more in my article and 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 have some video clips to dem to, to, to document it. Is that like I think that Oregon. I think that Oregon knew that UNC's only chance to win this game was through Drake May because the rest of the teams kind of stinks. And so they probably just like in a number of other games, like against BYU and Arizona and a couple other games where they're like the, this, this team can only throw the ball. Their defense sucks. Their run game sucks. Oregon, I think, you know, decided to adopt the strategy of like, well, we'll just run the ball a million times, make it a lower yeah. scoring, you know, a low possession game. And we'll just monopolize the opportunities to score with good clock management by doing things like winning the middle eight. And yeah. like all the evidence, and, and, and there's a couple other pieces of evidence that have to do with like formations in how UNC adjusts their defense, which I will explain in my article. It's a little too technical to get into a podcast, but, Basically, there's a bunch of evidence that indicates that was Oregon's strategy. And 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 that includes that would include most relevantly why they weren't throwing the ball deep. Not because Bo Nix couldn't do it. Obviously, he could do it. We saw him do it a bunch during the last two drives. But yeah. that when it was still part of their game plan to take the air out of the ball and and make it a lower possession game, then throwing it deep and scoring quickly is counterproductive, right? You want to slowly march down the field and 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 eat up a bunch of clock. And so it wasn't until the clock, you know, the end of the game that forced them to start throwing deep. They started doing it. And hey, presto, it worked, which like anybody could have told you was going to work against UNC's defense. Um, um, and especially with all their secondary dudes who are out. Um, yeah. but I think that, you know, here's where I think that the, 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 the Kenny Dillingham being missing factor comes in is I think they stuck to that game plan too long. I think, you know, those three empty possessions in the second half, they, when they were behind 21 to 14, that, that you shouldn't be sitting on the ball and trying like possession stuff 
when you're behind like that, you should be throwing the ball and getting the lead and then shutting it down. And I think probably Kenny Dillingham probably understood that. And the interim guys probably were stuck on the game plan and uh, until like the clock and the scoring position probably like changed their minds about that. So like, I'm, I'm not like, this is sort of a confusing thing to say because I I don't want to say like, well, everything went according to plan because obviously it didn't, but like, I, I think they had a plan and I think the plan was actually working pretty well right up until that crazy pick and the 14 point swing. And then they should have abandoned the plan, but they didn't. And that that was the mistake, not the plan itself. The plan was a good plan and was working. Am I making Mm -hmm. sense here? Oh yeah. Um, because like you, you can't, you, you keep talking about plan. And the funny thing is, is that the, sometimes in football, things will happen that you can't plan for. And the one thing you really can't plan for is an interception bouncing off like three different body parts into the hands of somebody else. Yeah, and then crazy. them scoring a 50 yard touchdown about 30 seconds later. And so when that happens, I, I agree. I think that, you know, the, maybe the lack of a, of a, you know, clear cut OC right now, was kind of hurting us in the sense that it's like, okay, we, we were doing that. It was working now, bang, 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 this all happened. And that's what makes great coaches is their ability to adjust and their ability to, you know, work on the fly like that. And so I think, honestly, I think that's something that we'll, we'll see more as we get Stein more integrated and whatnot. Um, but what I was pleased to see is the adjustment uh, made by Lanning and, and um, Tosh and the, the defense in the second half. Um, obviously, like I said, I've, you know, just kind of been zeroed in on Oregon's defense ever since we hired Lanning. That's his forte. And that, I think that's where the adjustment was made because there was plenty of times that North Carolina with the way that our offense was not producing North Carolina could have put the nail in the coffin multiple times. And they, even with an amazing quarterback like May, they just couldn't get it done against Oregon's D. And I think that was probably the biggest win of the night. I mean, that, that was remarkable. It's true. I, I, uh, you're right that North Carolina scores 14 or actually they, you know, because of that late shot, they get to a third touchdown in the first half. They were going to get one of those at some point, like may is way too good. Um, and it happened to happen in the first half. Um, but it's basically, you know, UNC scores twice uh, in the first half and they score twice in the second half and two of them are touched and the first time it was touchdowns and the second time they're, they're field goals. I really looked pretty hard when doing my charting to find a defensive adjustment that happens at halftime. And I can't find one like the success rates are all basically the same. Um, the blitz rate is the same. That was really the, 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 the overall change mm-hmm. was that Oregon was blitzing like crazy in this game. Their yeah. blitz rate was way higher than in any other game. And, you know, that was something that in my article previewing the game, I said, this was a potentially a viable strategy. They didn't do the other thing that I thought was going to be a viable strategy, which was rushing three, pulling back one dude as a spy and just, you know, flooding the back end. They, they didn't really do that, but they did do the blitz thing. And even though they don't really have an edge rusher at this point, like Oregon's defensive line and linebackers are good enough that like, and UNC's offensive line and tight ends and blocking are bad enough that they were just like crushing the pocket. Like every yeah. snap they were crushing the pocket. And then UNC without their magic maker, uh, Josh Downs as a receiver, you know, it meant that they, you know, weren't, um, the, the, you know, they were just less effective. Like may was pretty effective scrambling for the ball, but they wasn't, they weren't getting like huge plays off of the scrambles. Um, um, you know, they, they relative to that dude's talent who I think he's going to win a Heisman. And I said that I had the same reaction about Caleb Williams when Oregon played him last year. Um, you know, when I finished reviewing the Oklahoma tape, I was like, this dude's going to win the Heisman next year. And he did. And, (laughs) And then I watched Drake May's tape and I said the same thing. This dude's going to win the Heisman either, either in 2023 or 2024. Before well, let's just he goes hope Drake Mays doesn't end up transferring to USC. Lord knows. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but like considering they were going up against certainly a Heisman caliber and in, in some people could argue, I may even be included that he should have won this year. Um, mm-hmm. Like he was going to get that long pass. He was going to get some of those scrambles. Like he was going to get some, like the, the, the idea that you were ever just going to totally shut him down is impossible. Uh, you know, uh, he's just way too good. Um, yeah. but that being considered, oh, I really just think it was sort of like the fact that they were scoring touchdowns in the first half and field goals in the second half. I, I think it's just like, it's because there's a bunch of 50, 50 stuff in UNC's offense. And I think it just, you know, if you flip a coin, 
four times and it comes up heads the first two times and tails the, the next two time, it doesn't mean that the coin changed. It's like, that's, that's to be accepted. And sometimes you just have runs just like in basketball is a game of runs, but it doesn't really yeah. mean anything. You know, I really think that that was what happened. I can't for the, I mean, if, if there was an adjustment that happened at halftime that was significant, I'm obviously there's minor stuff that always happens, but like if there was a significant defensive adjustment that happened at halftime, I am not good enough to pick it up. Um, but yeah. their blitz rates were the same. Their, their defensive strategy was basically the same. They, they certainly didn't change out to the alternate defensive strategy. UNC actually made something of a defensive adjustment at halftime. They switched to playing zone a little more often, which wound up working for them a bit. Um, but uh, I, Oregon, I don't really think so. But it was, you know, remarkable. Um, you know, just it, like it, it's not super remarkable that Oregon shut down UNC's run game because UNC's run game sucks. But I think the big like takeaway that I'm really, really happy about is the Oregon has six interior defensive linemen that were playing all year long and they all played in this game. Um, yeah. uh, Casey Rogers, uh, Taki Taimani, um, uh, Jordan Riley, uh, 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 Keon Ware Hudson, uh, uh, Keanu Williams and, um, and Oh God. Uh, Rogers. Oh God, I'm forgetting the sixth one. Um, uh, but they're all good. Um, they're all really good. They're all really big and, uh, and really effective. And it's some, and it's, first of all, it's something that Oregon has that no other team in the PAC 12 has. Nobody in the PAC 12 is as deep in terms of their interior defensive line, uh, as Oregon, uh, is and and like, you know, they, they, they never get any credit. They're unlike the edge rushers. They aren't like super, um, you, you know, like, a, oh, Brandon Dorless. How could I have forgotten Brandon Dorless? He's the sixth guy. <laughs> anyway, all six of those dudes played all year. All six yeah. of those guys are coming back, I think, next year. Uh, all yeah. six of them played really well in this game. And here's the, the and the, it's, that's something that no other Pac-12 team has. And here's the relevance of that. Um, that, that uh, uh, the Mint defensive front, the whole idea of it is to stop the run with minimal personnel, not necessarily stop it dead. Like, you know, you never get any yards. And in fact, if you look on paper, there are some rush defenses that are better than Oregon's in terms of like statistically what they allowed, but Oregon's doing it with six in the box. They're doing it with three down linemen, um, and, and, and some linebackers. Um, and, uh, uh, the, the every other team that's better than them in rush defense is doing it with seven in the box, like Utah who plays with a box safety um, or other teams that play a four, three structure. Um, and so Oregon gets a, you know, uh, gets a free dude to play the pass, which in modern college football, the pass hurts you more than a run. And so what was really heartening to me was seeing all six of those guys playing really well, knowing that they're going to add three more because Amavai is coming back and he's going to be healthy and Mel's and Roberts uh, who were true freshmen this year, didn't have to play. They got to red shirt. Um, So they're going to have at least nine. I believe they're probably going to lose a few guys who didn't play. In fact, Oregon is probably going to lose significantly more guys after um, the, the bowl game is over um, because they're just way like they signed. I think they signed, between uh, prep signees and transfers, I think they took 33 new dudes. Like, and I think that puts their scholarship count at like 93 or something like that. Like they're like, like there's going to have to lose another like seven or eight dudes just to get down to 85. And those guys are going to need to hit the portal fast because you don't want to still be, um, you know, playing footsie when spring ball is starting up for whatever your new team is. So anyway, um, but I believe that those this, the that core of six dudes, I believe all six of them are coming back and all six of them played really well in the bowl game um, and effectively stopped the run without help. And that's great. That's so flipping great. Um, yeah. And and what it meant was that, you know, Oregon's heavy blitz, it meant that they were able to stop the run without, you know, committing extra guys, which meant the DBs could play back and play pass defense if in case it was play action. And it meant that when Oregon did heavy blitzing, and this is the the, the other thing, is that the DBs all played, uh, you know, pretty good game. Right. And it was without Christian Gonzalez. So like, you know, shout out to Dante Manning and Jaleel Florence. Um, shout out to Jamal Hill and Triquiz Bridges and, uh, and, uh, and Bennett Williams, uh, in his final game. Um, shout out to JJ Greenfield, um, who, who played a lot of time, uh, in this game. Um, 
so yeah, you know, you know, pretty damned impressive defensive performance from a maligned defense. Um, and, and, you know, the linebackers have some stuff to clean up, you know, like Keith Brown, this was his, like, I believe first start and like, I, I've got some negative plays for the guy on my tally sheet, but I've got a bunch of positive plays for him too. Um, yeah. so like, yeah, it, 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 it was a, a pretty good defensive performance and, and especially for some guys, uh, that like, you know, were sort of maligned over the course of the year. And, uh, uh, you know, and I'm really, 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 really happy with the interior of the defensive line, especially because I'm happy with that Mace Funa is returning. Um, yes, uh, I, I have called him out many times this year as a potential, uh, kind of dark horse X factor in the yeah. defense. Uh, you got the first sack of the game, you know, third play, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, I was pretty, pretty pleased with the defensive performance. Um, I'll be breaking it down more in my article uh, tomorrow. Um, and, you know, the thing is that, hey, man, you know, bowl games are not they're glorified scrimmages, you know, like like you just sort of you got to view it as like the preview to the spring game, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> And like, yeah, man, you know, I, I like seeing a lot of these dudes. I, 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 the other thing that I'll say is that based on my preliminary thinking about who the extra, who's going to come back next year and who's not, um, the game was almost entirely played by dudes, um, who are coming back next year. Um, very, you know, very few snaps going to guy like Bennett Williams, um, is probably not coming back next year. You know, a number of the offensive linemen are not coming back. Um, um, but otherwise this was a pretty young team. Um, and, uh, and, and Lanning has demonstrated, uh, you know, for good or for ill, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, you know, encouraging guys to get out the door who are not getting playing time so that they're not taking up scholarship space and can find a place where they are going to get playing time. He's, you know, there, there are some coaches in this league who I don't think are as, um, ruthless mm, as they need to be, um, in order to, to properly prune, um, their roster. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not wild about treating human beings like that, but you know what, uh, you know, if you're not getting playing time, you're not getting playing time. Um, and, and it's better for you to transfer. Like I, I am wholly in favor of the transfer portal, giving kids an opportunity to go instead of being locked into a school where they're not going to play, being able to transfer to a school where they are going to be able to play. Sure. Um, like pray that you know that's a win-win that's 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 a win for everybody and so you know i don't i don't feel like being heartless is the right way to characterize that i there in a way it's the kindest thing that you can do um and 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 dan landing has shown being i guess rather than ruthless i guess i should say non-sentimental like he doesn't like he's clear eyed as was the mario cristobal staff about like you're not getting playing time it's time for you to move on Mm -hmm. um and, and, and he's shown, you know, something similar and, and definitely in the bowl game roster, like I'm just, you know, I, I made up my list of guys who I believe are coming back and my list of guys who I think are going to need to move on after the bowl game to get Oregon back down to 85. And then I yeah. compared that list to the list of guys that I tallied actually, you know, what the snap counts were in the holiday bowl. And it's almost a one-to-one match. Like, yeah. He, I, I believe that Lanning has already probably identified, um, the, the, the folks who were going to stay, um, yeah. and th- they were getting play. Um, it's, it's, it's much better to be transparent like that. You're right. Rather yeah. than have a, uh, a, a Nate Costa kind of situation where you just hang around for years and years and years being promised one day you'll be the guy. <laughs> well, any other final thoughts before I move on from the holiday bowl? Uh, not too much. Like I said, just uh, very pleased with the with the clutch play by Nick, and very pleased with the uh, with the defense's performance in the second half. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Oregon's twenty twenty three football signing class and some of the new transfers on offense. Okay, so as we alluded to er, at the top of the show, um, uh, Oregon lost their five-star quarterback, uh, Dante Moore, um, to UCLA. But within 
36 hours. Uh, you know, they got a, a, a another blue chip quarterback, Austin Novosad, who they flipped from Baylor, uh, which I, I think sort of like put a spring in everybody's step pretty quickly, you know, right away. Yeah. It, uh, it, it hurts to lose a, lose a weapon like more. I was, uh, pretty high on the kid and, and still am, you know, I, I, I expect he'll, he'll do great things. I think he could have done better things behind our offensive line than Chip Kelly's, but that's another story for another day. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the recovery, um, being able to flip Novasad, uh, who was a Texas native from mm-hmm. Baylor, uh, shows, shows kind of the recruiting prowess that Oregon is getting. And, uh, you know, Novasad, he's, you know, he's, he's still a young kid. I think he'll, he needs to probably like put on a little bit of weight, uh, get, get a little more pocket presence. But the, the, the kid is accurate. Um, I've, I've watched a little bit of tape from him. He's an accurate thrower. He's good with the deep ball. Um, he's good with over the middle stuff. Um, uh, he, he'll be able to kind of, you know, I'm not going to say he can replicate what Knicks can do, but he, his style of play uh, is very similar to Knicks and his stature in general is very similar to Knicks. So if that's the the one that's going to have the torch handed to him, then uh, that should be an easy transition for him being able to learn from Knicks. Uh, next yeah, year. I know. And it, it, you know, taking, taking a guy who looks like he can be able to play as a red shirt freshman with Knicks coming back, um, you know, it sets up the line of succession nicely. Um, and, and, you know, in this, in this day and age of college football, um, you know, it really sort of looks like if you're not ready to play by your red shirt freshman year, you, you know, you just don't have it. Um, and so, you know, that's what we're going to have our fingers crossed for. Um, uh, another flip, they got uh, Jaden Lamar uh, in the running back room, plus the longtime commit Dante Dowdle. Uh, really, you know, really nice pair of running back recruits. I really like the way that both of yeah. these guys run. Um, and the way and the I- running back room is, is shaping up, you know, they'll have – they will have both um, uh, uh, Irving and Whittington and Jordan James, who's getting some run in this game. I think that was a vote of confidence in him. Um, yeah. So they should have a five man running back room um, with two true freshmen um, who will probably get. I would be surprised if those guys don't get some carries in 2023, but still red shirt. I think that's yeah. probably the way that it'll play out, you know, because they they get four four games that, and they can still preserve their red shirt. So, like, I think that's how that's going to go down. I that's a good size room. That's almost exactly the size of the room that I would want. Yeah, um, I, I I definitely like the um, uh, the the addition uh, running back because I I think that that one thing we will need a little bit heading into that uh, uh, 2023 season is a little bit of a uh, enforcer in, in the running back corps. Yeah. Um, not to say that Irving Whittington and James didn't do a, a great job this year. Uh, but when you, you know, take away uh, Caldwell, who, I mean, you know, I, I mistakenly thought could have a breakout year. It just wasn't to me. I think um, he could have, he just didn't like, yeah, he just didn't. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is, is I, I liked having his presence in there because you have that bigger back. You kind of have that bruiser back. And I think that um, it's, it's always important to carry one of those. Um, you know, you look at kind of like the, the, the thunder and lightning combos that Oregon and other teams have had over the years. You know, you look back at like LeGarrette Blunt and LaMichael James, um, you know, and then uh, like uh, guys like Jeremiah Johnson with uh Jonathan Stewart, you know, it's it's always nice to have quick, shifty backs, which Oregon has absolutely no shortage of. Uh, but it's also nice to have like those kind of like red zone, kind of you know closer to the goal line guys that you're just like, okay, if this guy needs to get a few extra yards, he can run over some guys to get yeah. them. Yeah, no, and I, you know, uh, Lamar is 5'11", 190, You know, that's a that's one type of back that that Oregon is accustomed to. But I mean, Dowdle is huge, yeah. right? Like six two, two ten. Yeah, um, uh, dudes from Mississippi. You know, where where if if he if he weren't good at football, you would have known. You know, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's, there there are some states that produce like four star talent that you sort of like. Hmm, I wonder, uh, but then yeah. there are some states who are like, dude, if you're a four star and like break this, all these like, state the woods, records, then, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I got a hundred percent confidence that Dowdle's going to be that for Oregon. Um, tight end, they got Kenyon Sadiq, hell of an athlete, and that's appropriate uh, room management as well. <laughs> 
take one because Oregon, you know, had four this year. One has departed Maliki Madaval, three return, and then you get back to four with Sadiq. Um, I think that Sadiq could definitely play as a true freshman, although he won't, you know, have to because uh, three is adequate. I think that Oregon's probably going to play a lot of 11 personnel, um, although I am looking forward to my film study on, on Will Stein to, to learn more about the UTSA offense. Um, I did. I, I secured every one of uh, UTSA's games uh, this year. I actually, um, I, I didn't come out and say like Will Stein is or- going to be Oregon's next OC in week four, but I had a, a wild hair that that's what was going to happen. Um, and uh, among other potentialities. And so I started recording all of UTSA's games. And so I got like every single one of them. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the tight ends figure in his offense, but I sort of expect it's going to be a lot of 11 personnel stuff, which means having a running back or excuse me, a tight end room that's got three vets and one true freshman, um, is pretty healthy. Um, I would probably expect at the end of the year that, you know, Oregon is definitely going to lose Cam McCormick at the end of the year because he will finally be out of eligibility. Um, <laughs> you know, and then Oregon probably for the next class will take one, uh, you know, one additional tight end to try to maintain a, a four, you know, it's, to give them some depth to play both 12 personnel and, and rotate and also, um, you know, deal with any potential injury situations that come up because Oregon definitely doesn't have great luck uh, in terms of tight end staying healthy. Um and then the wide receiver room, my stars, um, Jerrion Dickey, five-star, uh, Ashton Cozart, yeah. the incredible athlete. And then they got two uh, transfers, Treshawn Holden from Alabama, who I've talked to some Alabama fans who I know who are like, um, he didn't, they were like his, 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 his talent was super clear. He didn't click with the the staff, um, which like, that's what you're looking for to transfer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Tez Johnson or Keon Tez yeah. Johnson, I, I gather he goes by Tez, who's um, who's uh, Troy, uh, you know, a G5 team. But I think he's like the highest rated of anybody in the transfer pool of, yes. of the G5 receivers. He's by far their leading receiver. I haven't really gotten a lot of eyes on him as a, a late uh, a transfer edition, but like an experienced dude, you know, certainly, uh, you know, looks like, you know, could be pretty reliable. I saw some film clips of him. It looks like blazing fast, too. Um, yeah, uh, here, I mean, here's the thing, too. He is uh, Bo Nix's adopted brother who played with him in high school. And so that is really if you're talking about chemistry between a quarterback and a receiver, I don't think you're going to have too much of an issue there. Yeah, that story pretty much writes itself, <laughs> doesn't it, Adam? Yeah, yeah. And and I, I like, you know, from what I've seen of him so far, like you said, it's kind of tough to get a whole lot of tape on the guy. But I, I like him. He, he He looks like one of those kind of like shifty hybrid receivers. And I was comparing him a little bit to uh, Jalen Red and Charles Nelson. He, mm-hmm. he reminds me of that. One of those smaller kind of hybrid receivers that you can hit on jet sweeps and stuff like that, uh, go for screen passes that can really like break those open. So I'd, I I like the look of this guy, especially with the with the size that we've added to the receiving corpse lately. I'm expecting fairly serious um, uh, attrition from Oregon's uh, uh, wide receiver core. Um, after the bowl game, like obviously Troy Franklin is coming back. Um, Coda can't, he's out of eligibility. Dante Thornton's already left. Um, I'm sort of thinking that maybe some of these other guys who've been hanging around for a little bit, uh, like Isaiah Crocker, uh, and Josh Delgado, um, are probably out. I kind of think that Chris Hudson might be out just, um, just sort of a clear room and the fact that I think his role is probably going to wind up being taken by some of these new guys. I think actually yeah. the writing was on the wall as soon as, um, Tez Johnson committed. Um, mm. but like taking four, um, including two transfers who have some experience and then two very talented true freshmen, I think is pretty appropriate. Um, and, uh, and, and the wide receiver course probably, you know, is going to be, you know, about appropriately sized. Um, it's going to, you know, sort of fair warning to Oregon fans. I, like I said, I think there's going to be, um, quite a bit of attrition and some of it may, may be shocking. On the other hand, like, you know, there are some other guys who I think, um, you haven't seen, but you're going to like Isaiah Brevard who came in with, um, um, uh, Thornton and Franklin, um, but didn't see the playing time. I think he'll probably be coming online. Um, 
And then, uh, and then other guys like uh, Caleb Chapman, the transfer from Texas A&M, um, who was injured in play this year, and Kyler Casper, um, the late reclassification, who got to you know practice with the team all year. He'll be, I guess, a redshirt freshman for 2023. So, like, you know, I think that uh, Oregon's going to wind up having, you know, uh, some something like. Um, uh, oh, and Justice Lowe, of course. So, you know, I think that Oregon's going to have five returning wide receivers, but only one that you really saw play um, in 2022. Um, and, and I think that, the, and, 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 but like four other guys who look very talented and probably ready to start taking uh, uh, snaps. Um, and some, you know, and plus a couple of, uh, of, uh, uh, transfers, meaning I think that it's probably likely that, that the two true freshmen are going to redshirt, um, even though they're, they're super talented. Um, although who knows, uh, you know, you, these guys are so talented, they could break in and just like, you know, you can't keep them off the field. Who knows? Um, yeah. but I think that Oregon's wide receiver core is going to, you know, like it's going to have nine guys of whom only two are true freshmen, um, and uh, uh and like that's a pretty like it's a pretty good mix of experience and talent uh i like the room yeah yeah and then uh, as we knew had to happen oregon took a ton of uh, uh of uh, offensive linemen i mean i think literally a ton i think the seven guys uh put together may tap out over yeah yeah <laughs> no, figuratively <laughs> um, and literally um, they got, uh, a couple of transfers who were pretty coveted Ju- junior Angulao, um, from Texas and, uh, Johnny Cornelius from Rhode Island, who was actually unrated out of high school, but is the most coveted of, of all the, um, uh, transfer tackles. Um, he's just, you know, total diamond in the rough that turned out to play just phenomenally for an FCS team. And, um, and he's very highly rated in the transfer pool. Um, they also took another tackle, uh, George Silva is a four star, uh, uh, and, and then, uh, uh, so that's the two tackles and the five uh, Cornelius and Silva. And then the, the five interior guys, Angelou, um, they took, uh, Faope Laulu's, um, younger brother, Iapani, uh, Laulu, uh, as a four star. And then, uh, three more three stars, um, uh, Janorius Wilson, Leapy Mwala and Bryce Bolton. I, I don't know a ton about those guys, but I trust Adrian Clem's eye for NFL talent. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, that dude at UCLA put a like almost I think he put three quarters of the dudes that he recruited into the NFL and who are still playing today. Um, like I, I have to be perfectly honest. I wasn't wild about how those dudes played while they were at UCLA. And so it's sort of like this kind of when I wrote my article about him in January, it was sort of like there's this donut hole where he recruits dudes in high school who turn into great NFL offensive linemen, but they didn't play great for them at UCLA. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But who knows? That might have been the UCLA effect. It's not like Jim Mora was running a real like ship shape program. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, definitely. So like, yeah, we'll see how the development of those guys goes. But like, we're not going to find out, you know, th- three star offensive linemen. We're not going to find out about those guys for another like three or four years, you know, unfortunately. But like, you know, there's a good chance. Um, I think that Cornelius plays right away. Um, and I think there's a, you know, a good chance that Angelou, um, uh, plays right away. It will be interesting to see how Oregon's offensive line shapes up now that, um, um, you know, uh, uh, uh Steven Jones has, uh, declared that he's going to return. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's, a, that's a, that's a big help too, uh, being at the, being at that right tackle position, like protecting the blind side. But yeah, I mean, they'll have, you know, Walden and, um, and Powers Johnson and Jones uh, returning, who all got obviously like significant reps uh, this year, you know, almost every one. Um, they'll have, uh, or I'm sorry, not Walden. Walden decided to transfer out. Marcus Harper, uh, uh, sorry. Um, uh, so, you know, those three returners for, who were basically starters, um, plus Josh Connerly, who's the true freshman who played a ton as the sixth man. So he got some experience. Um, and, and they'll have like two transfers, meaning I think they'll, they'll have six experienced offensive linemen. And it could be that those six are just, that's it. Those are your five starters and sixth man. Um, and then we'll just see how the rest of the, the unit shapes up, but they had to take a bunch. There was so much attrition, you know, guys who left after Mario Cristobal left, um, that they had yeah. to take such a big class there. But I mean, seven mm-hmm. offensive linemen is a lot. Most, most teams do not take seven offensive linemen in the class. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's kind of like you said, you you knew that was going to happen because with with Cristobal goes his his coveted lineman. Uh, yeah. Um, and like, I know a lot of Oregon fans sort of like to trash talk, you know, those guys cause like, you know, the, I'm mad at my ex kind of deal, but like, I, I, I disagree. I, I think some of those guys potentially, you know, be really, you know, Kingsley, Kingsley Sumataya played great for, for BYU. Um, and yeah. then other guys were just sort of like injured, you know, or, or had COVID, uh, or probably COVID related problems. Not like they ever t- tell you. Um, but like, yeah, you know, uh, 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 the, the, you know, he still, you know, recruited some damn good ones, you know, right? Like, this was a very yeah, good offensive sure. line that was the creature of Mario Cristobal. So, like, you know, what are you complaining about? Uh, you know, plus, you know, they're going to continue in the next year. Powers Johnson almost certainly has a spot, right? Uh, 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 Mark Sharper almost certainly has a spot. We'll see how Faupilo does. He, he had like a big project to slim down because he came in at like 380 pounds, some nuts number, um, yeah. like that. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, see how he does um uh but that's sort of it you know uh, uh you know connerly played yuli who was the other big recruit um from the 2022 class didn't play but like we'll see how where he's at uh, and there's a couple other uh three stars from the 2022 class as well michael wooten and kuika rogers so we'll see so like they have a bunch of um super talented uh guys they have a bunch of you know developmental project guys who will have to see how that goes and they have a bunch of experienced guys i really like the mix for the offensive line room i, I got no complaints um or you know or as few complaints as i could have with the team that's you know going to be losing you know great players like tj bass and alex forsyth and also yeah Milo, for sure you know all right uh unless you got any other thoughts about the offensive class we can take a break there sure and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about the defensive recruiting class. Well, uh, Oregon uh, definitely lacked an edge rush uh, in 2022, and uh, it seems like um, Dan Lanning went to work on that uh, pretty uh, in a pretty yes. dedicated way. Um, yeah. <laughs> picked up uh, Matayo Uyunglele. Uh, the five-star edge rusher, uh, little brother of DJ, who will be transferring to, of all things, Oregon State, uh, the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm coming I'm after you, big. I'm coming after you, big brother. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely looking forward yeah. to some, uh, the, the, you know, the platy at the end of the year for some brother-on-brother violence. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, also got Blake Purchase, uh, who looks like yes. a great pickup. Um, uh, Tatum Tuiati, uh, who is um, uh, the defensive line coach's uh, son. Um, and uh, I, I, I think he looks like he's going to be technically pretty damn sound. Um, and then Jaden Moore uh, as well. Uh, pretty good looking, you know, edge rushing group in the position that was definitely like the number one thing that the Oregon defense was missing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, <laughs> if there was one thing that Oregon's defense had trouble generating in 2022, it was a pass rush. Uh, you Definitely felt the absence of Kayvon Thibodeau this year. Uh, but I, like I said, uh, bring, I was, uh, gosh, uh, you know, Yui Galele just seemed like he, he seemed like such a long shot, even though yeah. a part of you kind of was just like, I don't know though. It seems like he might be on board. The fact that we got him and Blake purchase. I mean, that just right, right there, that in itself shows you how much more dangerous Oregon is going to be for opposing quarterbacks in 2022. Well, and I, I think just the logic of it necessitates they're going to play right away. Like yeah, Oregon doesn't absolutely. have an edge. Like, you know, for as much as I raved for like 10 minutes or on the first segment of this podcast about how much I love the interior offensive line returners, like obviously there's no edge rush there, you know, um, like the closest they've got is Mace Funa. And like, that's not his specialty, his specialty no. sort of other stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, um, but like, you know, they got to have it in terms of the OLB, you know, position in, in, in this defensive structure. And like, they just didn't like it just, you know, and, and with DJ Johnson, uh, transferring out, um, and, uh, and, and same with, um, Braden Swinson, um, uh, same with Trell Tillman who switched over to a tight end and then, uh, and then transferred out, you know, Buckner, McNeil, Navarrete, like, you know, Oregon, uh, clean house is not the right word because like these aren't dirty players. So like, there's nothing to clean, but like, you know, or, you know, Oregon uh, on the roster in terms of returners, 
um, from the 2021 season to the 2022 season, I had seven dudes tabbed as returners that, you know, oh, they were only losing one guy, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau. So, you know, they, they should find somebody uh, to, to be able to play, you know, in, in the 2021 class or in 2022 who would return from the 2021 roster. And of those seven dudes, only one of them is returning in 2022 Mace Funa. The other six have all transferred out. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's hard to read that in any other way than, um, than, than Dan Lanning acknowledging that those guys weren't able to work their way onto the field. And if you can't work your way onto the field with this, uh, pass rush situation, then I'm sorry, you know? Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably best just to, uh, try elsewhere. And so, you know, it's too early to say that about the two um, scholarship true freshmen from the 2022 class, Marion Winston and Anthony Jones. And actually, we did see Anthony Jones playing in the Holiday Bowl. So that was nice. Um, uh, But like, yeah, those three, you know, Funa, Winston and Jones are the only returners. And you've got to think in a situation like that, that Uyango Lele and Purchase are probably going to be playing right away. And maybe Tuiati and possibly more. Um, as well, I, I figure all of them are going to be getting a shot, you know, like the situation is, is just like, there's, I don't think there's anybody, I don't think Oregon is in a position where they can afford to say, Oh, automatically you have to red shirt. Oh, I, I can't even think about playing you as a true freshman. Cause like they need it. <laughs> they need it bad. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, but you know, you, you, you get good enough talent and you know you you look at these two guys uh you know fresh freshman impact is is still very much a thing in college football if you oh, get yeah. if you get the the right kind of talent i mean Kevin Thibodeau played as a true freshman you know why not oh yeah almost out? almost got double digits in sacks as a true freshman so mm-hmm. don't don't ever count count people out and then this is you know, I spent all that time raving about the interior defensive line to sort of set up that, you know, they took five guys who I believe will be interior defensive linemen, you know, for this structure in a position where they'll have six returners who played or not a position because the the really the three fist down linemen need to have somewhat different, you know, body. There is a nose, there is a tackle, there is an end. And so calling them all interior defensive linemen is not exactly accurate. Um, and, and really sort of the DL edge that two, four, seven uses doesn't map perfectly onto the, um, the mint front. Um, and so like some of these may be a little bit more fluid than I'm implying here, but with that out of the way, they took five more guys who I think will be interior defensive linemen for Oregon. Um, Amari Washington, um, uh, Michael Gardner, uh, Johnny Bones, Terrence Green, and uh, Tavita Pomee. Um, I think all of them look real good. Um, you know, they're certainly rated very highly. Um, Mikhail Gardner is technically very proficient um, uh, in a way that sort of blows my mind. But if Oregon wants to redshirt all five of these dudes, they can. Yeah. Um, and, and that may even be a wise decision, um, given what they've got coming back in terms of six dudes who played plus three more in Amavai, Mels and Roberts, uh, who didn't play last year. Like they don't, they don't need a single one of these guys to play in the way that they need Uyungo lay to play off the edge. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think the, 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 the one thing that I, that I touched on in my recruiting article, um, that hurt was, uh, the, uh, double flip, uh, by, by Bowen, uh, because that, 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 that would have been a big get, especially, uh, with Bennett on his way out. I know and, that confused uh, yeah. a lot of people because like, because Bowen, the safety who was initially committed to Notre Dame and then flipped to Oregon and then flipped again on the same day, like a couple of hours later <laughs> to Oklahoma, it wound up confusing a lot of people because then Oregon goes and signs like 10 minutes after that Johnny Bowens with an S at the end of his name, who's a defensive lineman. And so a lot of people were like, oh, they got Bowen after all. And then, yeah. they're like, oh, <laughs> it's like, oh no, 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 it's the defensive lineman. Oh, I don't care about him. And I'm like, dude, you should like he's good. Yeah. Like I watched this film. <laughs> Um, but like, but like I was saying, like if Johnny Bowens uh, uh, needs to redshirt, then, you know, fine you know don't don't harm his development by playing him earlier than he's ready to which like that's the position you want to be on the defensive line or really all of the line positions all like the big uglies up front um 
like yeah. the longer you can put off playing them, the better. Um, yeah. Um, and Oregon's a position where, you know, unless one of these guys really, you just absolutely can't keep him off the field. He's so dominant. They don't need to play any of these guys as true freshmen. And they're sure. four stars. They took four, five, four stars, or I'm sorry, they, they took four, four stars. Mikhail Gardner is a borderline. Poma is a high three star. Uh, like nobody does that in the pac 12 five four stars and they're gonna no. sit all of them potentially like <laughs> that's that's when you know you have some depth if if any other team in the pac 12 took a defensive line class like this th- they would be playing as true freshmen like all of them yeah um you know oregon oregon is in a unique position on on its lines offensive and defensive lines where they're so well managed and they're so far ahead of everybody else in the pac 12. And yes, I'm including scary teams like Utah in that, um, yeah. in, ter- in terms of their depth. Cause like Utah has some good guys, but like they've, they've got a couple of them. Like I, I did my whole film study in Utah. They played the same four guys every snap. Like, yeah. Oregon's are playing the same four guys every snap. Like, not even no. So how do you think, um, how do you think after the early signing period? Uh, my question is, do you think they're looking in the defensive backfield? Um, that, that was obviously something that I touched on after the Washington game. Granted that was against Penix jr. Who pretty much tears apart any team he faces, but it's still, it, you know, it shed some light on, on some need for Oregon. Well, you know, losing uh, Christian Gonzalez hurts, although you knew that was going to happen. You knew that guy was one year rental. Um, you know, uh, we got to see Jaleel Florence and Dante Manning in the, the bowl game at cornerback. Uh, I thought that looked pretty good. I think that Dickerson is probably, you know, I, I'm just reading the tea leaves. He didn't play much and he didn't play much as a true freshman uh, either. Um, I think that he's probably gone. I think that Barkins is probably gone, um, which means they'll probably only have um, um, the, the two experienced returning cornerbacks in Manning and Florence and then Jaleel Tucker, the other San Diego kid who didn't really play much this year. Um, so, you know, they definitely needed to take some corners. Um, and they did, they took like, you know, four guys who I think are going to be corners Uh one transfer Kyrie Jackson from Alabama. Um, yeah, that was a big get. And then, uh, Dalen Austin and Cole Martin, who are both four stars. Then the, the mid three star Colin Gill, who I guess is the, like Colin Gill, the, 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 uh, you know, 0.85, um, is Oregon's lowest rated recruit. Um, his film was pretty good. Like he doesn't want to be a bad player, uh, you know, for no. a lot of teams in the pac 12, he'd be like <clears throat> one of their better recruits. Um, yeah. so like Colin, if you're listening, I'm not trying to single you out or make you feel bad or anything. It's just sort of like, that's the, that's the mark for where Oregon's recruiting class is right now. Or like, he's the only mid three star and the lowest recruit, the rated recruit that Oregon has. Um, yeah. and hell there's a good chance he sees the field simply because like they're, they're only going to be returning three cornerbacks, you know, um, and we'll just see how it plays out. But like the size of the room is appropriate. Um, you know, seven, seven cornerbacks in the room. That's about right. Um, and we'll just see how the chips fall. You know, like uh, a lot of this is just sort of like, you know, I follow the rule of thirds, you know, for, 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 you know, how, how development is going to wind up going, you know, where a third of the guys you take are going to play and, and be good for you. A third of the guys are just going to, you know, wash out, uh, in one way or the other. And the third are going to be in between in some way, you know, an injury will, will interrupt an otherwise promising career or their like a lifelong backup or something like that, you know? Um, and so a lot of this is just like, I can't make predictions about who's really going to be playing, but like, a mix of two experienced guys, uh, a, a returner who didn't play and, you know, four new guys, one of whom is a transfer, all of whom are highly rated. Um, you know, with the exception of guild are all four stars. Um, yeah. Manning is a five star. Um, yeah, it's a good mix and we'll just see how it plays out. Um, but they've set themselves up for, they've set themselves up so that if the, you know, the rule of thirds goes as it always does, they'll get, you know, probably three starter caliber players and a couple of decent backups, which like, Hey, that's what you need. Yep. Um, and then safeties, um, uh, um, you know, Oregon, uh, I think that we know that they're going to lose Bennett Williams. Um, I sort of suspect that Steve Stevens is going to transfer out. Um, yeah. although I don't know, like he got enough playing time and he has the eligibility that he could stick around that, that one's the, I am most like, I don't know about, um, but you know, they, they've already lost, uh, Jonathan flow. Um, but I think that, 
I think that Jamal Hill is going to return. I think Triquiz Bridges is going to return. I think that actually Bridges could switch over and play safety, which is what his body type is more like. Although he could stay in the cornerback room. I don't know. Um, He'd probably be effective at either. I think that Addison is going to stick around. Uh, He was getting, you know, enough play, although Addison's got a better case to leave in terms of playing time than Stevens does. Um, I don't know about Davon David. Um, His playing time doesn't really indicate that he... I don't know. There, there's a bunch of uh, I. Uh, the safety room is the most like I'm not sure because they have more. They have more guys who are capable of returning than um, than they probably need. And then they went and took three more uh, from the return re- recruiting class. They took Solomon Davis, uh, Cody DeCambra, and Tyler Turner, all of whom are borderline four stars. So, like, I think you know they if nobody leaves after the bowl game. Um, which I don't think that's going to happen. But if nobody leaves, they'll have one, two, three, if we count Bridges, four, five, uh, six, if we count Greenfield, who's technically a walk-on right now, um, seven with Trajan Williams, eight with Kamari Terrell. You know, they'll 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 have something like eight guys, plus they'll add three. Eleven guys um, for the safety room is too many guys. So I think some will leave. Um, some, will, some will leave probably before uh, spring and probably some will probably leave after spring, um, to get down to more like, um, you know, they probably want to have like six guys in the room. Um, and I just don't know who it's going to be. Um, uh, but I do like the guys who came in. Um, they're not the highest rated dudes. Um, you know, like, you know, in, uh, in terms of where their talent rating is, it's, you know, this is going to be something crazy to say, but these three borderline four stars are the lowest rated unit <laughs> that yeah. Oregon took. That's when you know you're doing well. <laughs> but I mean, there's no five stars. There's no like, you know, Uyango Lele, you know, type mm-hmm. of, you know, can't keep them off the field type of dude. So like, you know, we'll see uh, how it goes, but like expect some attrition um, from this group. And then the last group to talk about is the inside linebackers. There's only, they've only taken two and they've, you know, they've lost so much, you know, they were pretty much playing to, to the point where they were playing uh, Keith Brown and Jeffrey Bossa in the bowl game. Um, but then we didn't see, I, I was sort of a little surprised by this when I was watching um, the holiday bowl film, we didn't see the two true freshmen, even though there's a rule that says it doesn't count to play in the bowl game against your Richard, um, Devin yeah. Jackson, Harrison Taggart. And I'm a little surprised by that. I'm not sure what that means. Um, on the other hand, we've heard absolutely zero smoke about them leaving either. So like, I don't know. I don't know what the situation is, but like the third linebacker that they were playing in this game was Micah Roth. Who's the walk on, you know, senior, um, mm-hmm. you started playing football in like 2017, man. Um, so like they definitely need more bodies, you know, cause I, I believe that, um, I believe assuming that Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart stay, which I have no reason to think that they're not going to, um, you know, they only have four dudes in the inside linebacking core returning, um, of whom only two got experience. And then they've only taken two, um, uh, Jerry Mixon, who's a, a high three-star. He's related to um, the Oklahoma running back um, who's now in the NFL. Um, and uh, and then the Iowa transfer, Justin Jacobs, who like Iowa fans were all very upset that Oregon took him. Um, I'm sort of expecting that Jacobs will play right away. Um, I, I'm thinking that like Boston and Brown probably have the confidence of the, of the staff. So, you know, that may be it. They may be like done with those six human beings, but like, I kind of feel like they need one more and I'm, and I think it's going to happen. I have this theory. I, I don't, I have no evidence for this. Um, it's just, you know, speculation and tea read tea leaf reading. Um, but I sort of suspect they're going to take one of these guys who've yet to play their bowl game at this point. So like New Year's six, you know, caliber linebacker, I think probably is going to wait until after the bowl game and then transfer. Um, I think that's what they're waiting on. I, it's, it's just a guess. And in fact, I'll pair that with another, you know, prediction, which is, I think the way that they're going to fix the, um, the safety coaching situation, because, because Matt Powledge left to go back to Baylor to be their defensive coordinator. And so Oregon needs to fix their safety coaching position. I think that rather than hiring a safety coach, what they'll do is expand Demetrius's Martin from uh, his coaching from just cornerbacks to do the entire secondary. And I think they'll add a linebackers coach t- to take that from Tosh LePoy. So that LePoy is just the full-time um, play caller and coordinator yeah. and uh, recruiter, I should say. Um, 
and, uh, and, and I think, so that's my, like, here's my parlay bet. Uh, my, my side bet here is that Oregon is going to hire a linebackers, not safeties coach. And that that linebackers coach will bring with him a transfer linebacker, just like Carlos Lachlan brought, um, uh, 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 no Whittington and just like, um, Demetrius Martin brought Christian Gonzalez. Um, and just like Kenny Dillingham brought Bo Nix sort of, um, cause he coached him at Auburn, um, that first year. Uh, that's my, you know, I have no idea who that person might be, uh, either a coach or a linebacker. And I have no evidence for this whatsoever. It's just, it's a whisper in my ghost, uh, as they say, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, uh, when it comes down to it, um, I think that there's always going to be um, kind of uh, really strong depth in in some areas um, of of a defense or an offense, and, and 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 relatively less. And the interesting thing was is that like coming into this season, we were discussing so much about uh, the uh, the the depth and, and the talent that we had at linebacker, saying that that was probably going to be our bread and butter this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you you look at you know how how it played out, and uh, you know, kind of like Bossa and everything, like kind of taken over. Whereas you know, Flo, who was expected to you know really uh, be kind of like one of our key pieces kind of, you know, starts going the wayside a little bit and eventually ends up transferring. And um, so I think that um, even though they may be a little more, you know, thin and and, and not quite as, uh, at least on paper, star-studded than than we thought, you know, heading into the 2022 season, um, I think that, like I said, uh, that the, the fact of the matter is, is that Oregon's defense um, is, 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 is their pride and joy. And I think that uh, the, like the, um, the guys that you picked up, um, it's, it, it's not, it's not bad. And then, you know, with the defensive backfield, like I said, the, the only really game that I saw like, you know, a major, major lapse from them where they were just getting picked apart was against Washington. And, um, you know, that was, that was just dealing with one, one of the best passers in the, in the nation in Penix. And, uh, you know, but, Showing up that that pass rush also makes a difference in 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 that sense. So you know what I mean. It's it's like you you can't pick apart a defense quite as much, even if they don't have amazing defensive backfield. When you have edge rushers in your face all the time, and so um, I think that on the whole, recruiting for the defense, Lanning and company saw what what the biggest need was. They saw the, the the biggest area of, of um, improvement that needed to be made, and they addressed it, you know, with flying colors. And you know, the the rest of the 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 defensive line and the interior is going is it should be on paper should be absolutely amazing. And it, it's kind of like what we've always talked about. That's that's where it all begins and ends on offense and defense. Anyway, uh, if you're winning at the line of scrimmage, it's it's, it's going to make everybody else's job easier. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for us, Adam? Um, you know, it, Duck fans, just be, be thankful, okay? I, I know a few of those uh, games towards the end of the season didn't go the way we wanted to, uh, but we're 10-3 we're, we're and three in Holiday Bowl champions, okay? And, you know, there was a lot of times when Duck fans would have been very, very thankful for a season like that, so... <laughs> Don't get too ahead of yourselves. We had a we had a good season. We're going to be back very strong next year. Should be a lot of fun. Fifth, fifth Oregon coach since two thousand five to have a ten win season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.